All right, well, we have made it to the New Testament. We have been working through the, uh, we have been working on a series where I'm preaching all the way through the Bible this year. Genesis through Revelation, obviously we can't cover all the books. Obviously you realize we skipped a lot in the Old Testament, um, but we've spent about 30 weeks in the Old Testament. We're going to spend about 20 weeks in the New Testament. Um, so we are starting the New Testament this, today, this week. Very excited. Um, but as a way of doing that, we'll be starting in Matthew. So if you want to flip open to Matthew chapter 1, we'll be hitting a, a few verses um, in chapters 1, 2, and 3. We'll be skipping through those pretty quickly. So, All right, let's, uh, let's open up in prayer. Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for everything that you've, you've given us. Father, we thank you for, for giving your word to us for speaking to us, for not abandoning us, for, for reaching down to us, for, 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 for stepping down into the world that we live in, for living the life that we couldn't live and dying for us, for our sins, and offering that forgiveness to us. Father, we could never thank you enough. Father, we don't really understand. The more we understand how good you are and how holy you are, and the more we understand how rebellious we are, Father, it's hard to understand why it is that you love us so much that you would be willing to leave your throne, come to this earth to be mocked, ridiculed, abused, and killed on our behalf. It's hard to understand why you love us so much, but one thing is without a doubt throughout the Scripture, it is clear that you love us that much. Father, we may not ever understand why you've chosen to, to show us so much love, but Father, it is clear that you do. You truly do love us, that all that you have done has been in, in driven by your love for us. And Father, it's that kind of love that causes us to, to, to grow in our love for you. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you've given us. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. All right, let's jump straight into Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 through 23 says this. Now, as I'm reading through these verses, and I'm going to read them pretty quickly. As I read through these verses, I want you to try to listen and try to pay attention and see if you can catch what's the, what's the underlying theme, what ties all these verses together. I don't, I don't, I don't think it'll be too tough. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken, what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Verses 14 and 15. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and escaped to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. Y'all starting to pick up on it yet? Verses 16 through 18, continuing on. When he realized that he had been outwitted by the wise men, flew into a rage, he gave orders to massacre all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, 
weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they are no more. And again, Matthew 2.23, Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. And then jumping into chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. What was the, what was the, thing, the, the link that tied all these passages together? The prophecies. The prophecies. These were all fulfillments of what the prophets had spoken. Six prophecies. Six times that Matthew pointed out fulfillment of prophetic words in their, old, in, in their scriptures, our Old Testament. Six times to the very beginning of the first three chapters. Over and over and over and over and over and over again according to the prophets, to fulfill what was spoken by the prophets, in fulfillment of the prophets, according to the word of the Lord spoken by the prophets, over and over. This is a big deal that Matthew was pointing out. And this, is, this is where our Gospels begin. This is where the story of Jesus begins, that He is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Prophecy is one of the many reasons we can have so much confidence in our Holy Scriptures. And that's what I want to talk about today. That it's because of the prophets. It's because of what they said, through, spoken, given to them by God. All these prophecies is why we can have so much confidence in these scriptures. We've talked about the qualifications before of being a prophet. Y'all remember us talking about that? I think we talked about it last week. The qualifications of being a prophet is that you must have a 100% success rate in your prophecies. You can't get one wrong. Every time you say, thus saith the Lord, every time you tell people, God said to me, and you speak, you have to be right 100% of the time. It's, it was written, matter of fact, and we're going we're gonna to read that right now, Moses was, was, was bringing the people to, to Sinai. They're, they're having the, God was giving, giving the covenant. God was speaking to all the people, not just Moses, all the people when he gave the Ten Commandments. That's something that a lot of us don't catch when we're reading that. He spoke to all the people, the entire Israelite nation, when he spoke himself the Ten Commandments, it was after he had given the Ten Commandments that the people then went to Moses and begged and pleaded with Moses, let us hear him speak no more. Because if we continue to hear him speak, we're all going to die. They realized how sinful they were and how holy and powerful he was. And they were afraid that if he kept speaking to them and they stayed in his presence any more than they already had, they were afraid that his holiness was just going to wipe them out especially as he's going through the list of the Ten Commandments. He's telling you, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And everybody's thinking, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. I've done that. So he, he told Moses, please, you go up on the mountain, you speak to God, and you just come back and tell us what he said. And that's where we're going to pick up here. Deuteronomy 18, from starting in verse 15, says this, 
The Lord your God will raise up for you. Now Moses come back and he's speaking to the people. The Lord will, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your own brothers. You must listen to him. This is what you requested from the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not continue to hear the voice of the Lord our God see this great fire any longer so that we will not die. Then the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. But the prophet who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. You may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. This is the law given by God through Moses to the people at the beginning of their forming their nation that God will speak to you now through prophets instead of to everybody at one time, through prophets as you requested from God. But if somebody says that they're a prophet and that God told them to tell you so-and-so, but what they said doesn't come true, the punishment is the death penalty. You are not to be afraid of that man because he did not speak according to God's word because God is never, ever wrong. So that, right off the bat, how many people do you think are going to volunteer to say, okay, I'm a prophet, let me tell you what God said. Probably not very likely, is it? Would any of you sitting here pretend you were a prophet knowing that if you said one wrong thing, the penalty was death? I sure wouldn't. I absolutely wouldn't. Not going to happen. And the thing is, for those who might would pretend, it's just a matter of time before they're found out, right? Because I don't care how smart you are, I don't care how wise you are, if you make prophecies that have, to, that have to come to fulfillment in this life, if you're making them up, you're not going to get them right. Now, you may say, okay, well, I'll just say things that can't be proven wrong. Okay, but then you can't be recognized as a true prophet. You know, like the fortune cookies. Everybody's open to fortune cookie. And they always say things that, honestly, you cannot prove wrong. Good things are coming your way. When? What things? Of course good things are coming my way. Bad things are coming my way too, of course. You know, that's not a prophecy. I can't go around reading fortune cookies and convince people that I'm a prophet. I would have to make, I would have to make statements and claims of things that would happen in my life, things that can be tested and verified in order to be recognized as a prophet. And they would all have to come right, come true. These people who did speak God's words, these prophets... The things that they, wrote, they said were written and collected and studied as the Scriptures. That's another really important point. Our Old Testament, from Genesis through Malachi, is identical to the Jewish, the Hebrew Bible today. Identical. Same books. No more, no less. Identical. As time went on, these books were written across about a thousand year period from from Moses, 1400 A.D., to Malachi, 400 
prophecy thousand year span. During this thousand years, they very selectively chose which books they were going to keep and hold and speak writings were Holy Scripture, the words of God. That's in essence what they did. These are the words of God. They chose Moses' words. Why? Because he proved himself to be God's prophet. Think of all the things he did, parting the Red Sea and all the different signs and miracles and wonders that God did through Moses. Moses proved himself to the people to be God's voice piece, to be his prophet. And so they kept Moses' words and wrote them down. And then, as more prophets came along who proved themselves to be prophets, they kept all their words. They kept their words and wrote them down. Let's, uh, let's, let, let's look, at, look at some of this. Samuel, Samuel was a prophet. Y'all remember Samuel? 1 Samuel 3.20 says this, All Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a confirmed prophet of the Lord. He was a confirmed. That's why I put this verse in. He was a confirmed prophet of the Lord, meaning that he proved himself to be a prophet in their lifetime. This is what it was like to meet Samuel. I've put this up before. I've read this to y'all before, but I'm just going to do it again. Saul met Samuel. Samuel anointed Saul as the first king. This is what it was like to meet Samuel, if you want to know what it was like to meet a prophet. In 1 Samuel 10, verses 2 through 7, Samuel is speaking to Saul, and he says this, Today when you leave me, you'll find two men at Rachel's grave at Zelzah in the territory of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you went looking for have been found, and now your father has stopped being concerned about the donkeys and is worried about you, asking what should I do about my son. You will proceed from there until you come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one bringing three goats, one bringing three loaves of bread, and one bringing a clay jar of wine. They will ask how you are and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Now, I know you missed this part, but he's saying that they're going up to God and they're bringing their sacrifice to God. They're bringing goats, bread, and wine to offer as a sacrifice. And he said, by the way, they're going to give you two of those loaves. You know, they, I, mean, I mean, we read it and, uh, you know, that's not a big deal. No, you know, if you're taking a God, and then you decide to give part of it to somebody else. People don't do that. That's a big deal. And he said, by the way, and he just named it. It's happen. He goes on. After that, you will come to Gibeah of God, where there are Philistine garrisons. When you arrive at the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place prophesying. They will be preceded by harps, tambourines, flutes, and lyres. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully on you. You will prophesy with them, and you will be transformed. When these signs have happened to you, do whatever your circumstances require, because God is with you. Now imagine being Saul, and let's pretend Samuel was Guess what's going to happen? You're going to go home, and none of this stuff's going to happen. What if you went home and your dad said, No, I hadn't found the donkeys. I'm still looking. We still need them. If you went home and the donkeys had not been found, as Samuel has said, guess what? Now you know Samuel's a fraud. And guess what happens to Samuel? He's dead. If you didn't meet these three men and, two of them did, and one of them didn't give you two loaves of bread and they didn't have everything just as Samuel said, guess what? You knew he was a phony, and guess what happens to Samuel? He's dead. No, Samuel 
firm prophet. He spoke like this, and he wasn't afraid to speak like this because God told him what was going to happen. God said what was going to happen. He spoke and spoke and spoke, and people saw it come to truth. People saw it happen in their lives, and people knew he was. There's no way he, he couldn't be a confirmed prophet. What about Elijah and Elisha? We like Elijah and Elisha, right? They got some cool stories. Let's look at Elijah. 1 Kings 17, 1 through 6. Now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. You are to drink from the wadi. I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he proceeded to do what the Lord commanded. Elijah left and lived at the wadi Cherith, where it enters the Jordan. The ravens kept bringing him bread and meat in the morning and in the evening, and he would drink from the wadi. Now that's a bold statement to go up to the king. He went up to the king and said, By Thus saith the Lord, in essence, he says, it will, there will be no dew or rain except by my command. Not gonna, until I say there's going to be rain, there will be no rain. And for three years, there was no rain. Three years. And this all led up to, and it wasn't just, a, oh, I just waited a long time, and then, and then when it started raining, and then I ran into town and said, oh, by the way, I said for it to rain. No. It led up to this, this meeting of him and the prophets of Baal. And they had this big competition of asking of God to pour down fire from heaven and light this altar. And whoever's God answered was going to be the God that everybody would worship. And then after this big meeting of the prophets of Baal and then God proving himself by lighting the, 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 the sacrifice on fire, then he said, okay, now that you've all agreed to worship God, now there will be rain. And then it rained. You want to fake being a prophet? Try that. It's not going to happen. You know, we complain about our droughts and seasons. I can't, I can't stand up here and say, hey, by the way, it's not going to rain for three years. Oh, it's going to rain one day, and then I'm going to be running for my life is what's going to happen. You don't, you don't get away with this kind of stuff. And because they knew he was a prophet, that's why they chose to keep his words written down to study. Let's go on. He goes on in verses 10 through 16. So Elijah went up to Zarephath. When he arrived at the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. Elijah called to her and said, Please bring me a little water and a cup and let me drink. As she went to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, Y'all know this story. As the Lord your God lives, I don't have anything baked, only a handful of flour in the jar and a bit of oil in the jug. Just now I'm gathering a couple of sticks in order to go prepare it for myself and my son so we can eat it and die. Then Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a small loaf from it and bring it out to me. Now, talk about the arrogance. You know, I, this is all I have left. I'm about to bake it and me and my son are going to eat it and then we're going to die of starvation because we've got nothing left. And he said, Oh, that sounds great. Go ahead and do that. But before you do, bake that loaf for me. I'll take it. Afterward, you may make some for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The flour jar will not become empty and the oil jug will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the surface of the land. 
So she proceeded to do according to the word of Elijah. Then the woman, Elijah, and her household ate for many days. The flour jar did not become empty, and the oil jug did not run dry. According to the word of the Lord, he had spoken through Elijah. Confirmed prophet. That's how you know it's a confirmed prophet. That's how you know that you're going to take his words and you're going to write them down and you're going to keep them. And you're going to study them because you know he's a prophet. What about Elisha? He followed Elijah. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, Why have you torn your clothes? Have him, he's talking about Naaman, have him come to me and he will know there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Then Elisha sent him a message who said, Go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you will be clean. Now this man had just went to the king of Israel, okay? And he's like, you're just trying to start a war with me. I can't heal you of your skin disease. And then Elisha says, don't worry, king. Send him to me. I'll heal him of his skin disease and he'll know there's a prophet in the land. Now if you were faking it, you were faking this man had leprosy if you were faking it would you tell the king send the leper to me and i'll heal him of his skin disease and then when he gets there tell him hey go wash in the river seven times would that cure him of his leprosy absolutely not and then what would he do he would go back to the king and say you have mocked me you have taunted me and now prepare to make war and then the king would have your head on a platter would he not If he was faking it, we wouldn't even be reading these stories. Wouldn't have happened. He couldn't fake it. And those kind of things happening in their lifetime made them proven to be prophets to the people of their lives. This is a favorite. I just wanted to throw it in of mine. I just like this one. So he went with them, Elisha again. And when they came to the Jordan, uh, they cut down trees. And one of them was cutting down a tree. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out, Oh, my master, it was borrowed. Then the man of God asked, Where did it fall? When he showed him the place, the man of God cut a piece of wood, threw it in there, and made the iron float. Then he said, Pick it up. So he reached out and picked it up. This is the kind of stuff that prophets did to prove that they were prophets. This is, I mean, this, you, you knew they were prophets, and you knew if somebody was trying to fake it. 2 Kings 6, 12 through 20. One of his servants said, No, no one, my lord the king, Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. So the king said, Go and see where he is so I can send men to capture him. When he was told, Elisha is in Dothan. He sent horses, chariots, and a massive army there. They went by night and surrounded the city. Now the king is is ready to kill Elisha. Sends a whole army after Elisha. Why? Because Elisha just seems to to know what you speak in your bedroom. He, according to them, has these mystical powers. He He just knows everything. He's been warning his king of your advance attacks. So he sends an army to kill Elisha. When the servant of the man of God, when one of Elisha's servants, got up early and went out, he discovered an army with horses and chariots surrounding the city. So he asked Elisha, O my master, what are we to do? 
Elisha said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When the Arameans came against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, Please strike this nation with blindness. So he struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. This whole army comes to surround Elisha's house. He, he prays to God to strike them all with blindness. He strikes the entire army with blindness. And then he says, oh, by the way, uh, this is not where you want to be. Here, follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. And he led them to Samaria, to their enemies. When they entered Samaria, Elisha said, Lord, open these men's eyes and let them see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw that they were in the middle of Samaria. This is the kind of stuff that prophets did, that people knew without a doubt, even foreigners, their whole army knows this is a man of God. And what they do when, they led them, when he led them to their enemy, where they were surrounded by an enemy army, and then had them open their eyes, what do you think they did to them? They didn't do what you think they might. They didn't kill them. They fed them, took care of them, and sent them home. Why? Because they knew that this God of Israel was real. And all the fighting and all the the turmoil that we had heard leading up to that point, after that, they were like, okay, we're done. We're not fighting. We're not fighting against them anymore. God wanted to get it out to all the nations, not just His own. God wanted to get the word out how great He is to all the nations so that all people would bow and serve Him. Then, of course, you have Moses, who God chose to perform miracle after miracle. And then you have the prophets like David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. You have all these different prophets that just just spoke God's Word, were proven to be prophets of God, and so they kept all of their words. Now what if, and all these people that they, they wrote about, they spoke about a coming Messiah. They spoke about a coming cross. Now of course, they, they didn't use the word cross. Isaiah kind of did. But, but the point is, they kept speaking all these different prophecies about this one coming to save Israel. Now as this thousand years goes on, and they're choosing which people's words to keep, and, write, and, and keep and, and hold up as value as Scripture, you know the most miraculous thing? They all ended up speaking about the same person that the fulfillment all came true in. It wasn't like, oh, we kept Isaiah, but turned out Isaiah was wrong. So we're not going to talk about Isaiah. We'll talk about, we'll talk about uh, Zechariah. That's, that's the one we'll talk about because he was right and the other one was wrong. No, no, no. They were all right. They were all right. I mean, could you imagine taking a thousand-year time period and picking certain people's prophecies during that thousand-year reign, picking this person's prophecies, this person's prophecies, if you were trying to fake it? Like, we're just trying to fake it, okay? So we're picking all these different people, and then, it, and then all being right and all coming true in one person? I don't have enough faith to believe that, that if it was fake, that you could, you could pull it off. I don't have enough faith to be, to be an atheist. I don't have enough faith to not believe that this is the Word of God, that men could not have come up with this. And this is where I want to share this, 
neat little tidbit that I think you'll find very interesting. Before I do, I want to ask you, who all's been to Texas? Um, Texas is big. And so, for us Georgians, I want to kind of help put that in perspective, how big If you were, let me just start, you'll be surprised. You'll know this, Florida will fit inside of Texas. Florida and Georgia will fit inside of Texas. Florida and Georgia and Alabama will fit inside of Texas. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, and South Carolina will all fit inside of Texas. Can you believe that? And Tennessee. Florida, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, and Tennessee will all fit inside of Texas, and you'll still have some land left over. Here you go. Here's your chart. Texas is 268,597 square miles. Georgia is 59,425 square miles. About five Georgias can fit in Texas. But when you add Georgia to Florida, Florida is over 65,000 square miles. When you add those up, you're up to 125,000 square miles. When you add in Alabama, you're up to 177,000. When you add in South Carolina, you're up to 209,000. When you add in North Carolina, 263. You can pick North Carolina or Tennessee, either of them. You can swap them out, and you will still won't reach the size of Texas. Can't add both of them, you'll be over. But you could pick Tennessee or North Carolina. Texas is massive. Now that it's all in perspective, I want to read you from a book that I have. Uh Uh-oh, let's go back. I have a book called um, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and Sean McDowell. I want to read you a paragraph out out of this book. Well, let me say one more thing. There have been different people who have compiled lists of how many prophecies were in the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. A guy named J. Barton Payne lists 191 distinct predictions that were literally fulfilled in Christ. 191. Now, Floyd Hamilton lists 332. But we're going to go with the lesser 191. Okay? We're going to go with 191. Peter, now that they talk about in this book, they talk about Peter Stoner, who wrote the book Science Speaks. He examines the mathematical probabilities that apply to the fulfillment of these predictions. They note that in the foreword, H. Harold Hartzler of the American Scientific Affiliation, Goshen College, wrote, now this is talking about a book called Science Speaks. It's a book called Science Speaks. In the foreword of that book, Harold Hartzler said, The manuscript for Science Speaks has been carefully reviewed by a committee of the American Scientific Affiliation members and by the executive council of the same group and has been found in general to be dependable and accurate in regard to the scientific material presented. The mathematical analysis included is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. All that to say, the statistics that I'm about to give you have been reviewed by mathematicians and confirmed to be accurate. 
With all that said, remember, what was, how many prophecies did we say the Old Testament says about Christ? If we go with the much, much, much lower number, you remember how many it was? 191. Now let's just look at eight. Just eight. The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. He would be preceded by a messenger. He was to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He would be betrayed by a friend and his hands and feet pierced. His betrayer would be given 30 pieces of silver. The betrayal money would be thrown into the house of God and used to buy a potter's field. He would be silent before his accusers. His hands and feet would be pierced and he would die accounted among criminals. If we just looked at eight, Stoner writes, we find that the chance that any man might have lived down to the present time and fulfilled all eight prophecies is one in ten to the 17th power. That would be one in, imagine this written out. I should have put this on, the, I'm sorry, I don't have any more slides, but just imagine this. You write a one, and then you write zero, zero, comma, zero, 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 zero, zero. One in that number. In order to help us comprehend the staggering possibility, Stoner illustrates it by supposing that we take 10 to the 17th silver dollars. Have y'all heard this before? Take 10 to the 17th silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas. Now imagine this. Imagine you have silver dollars and somebody's behind you with a truck and they keep bringing them to you. Imagine putting one here and then beside it, and then beside it, and then beside it, and then beside it, and then beside it. And we get as a church, we say, okay, we're all going to do this together. And we're laying them out in a line, and we lay them all the way to Barnesville, and then to Griffin, and then to Atlanta, and then past Atlanta up to, to Chattanooga, and up to the top tip of Tennessee state line. And somebody, another group's going this way, and we lay them all the way down to Perry, Valdosta, Orlando, and all the way down to Miami. How long it would take to lay that line. Then, we have to come back and we have to lay another line right beside it. Then we've got to come back and lay another line right beside it. And, then, and you see how slowly we're creeping forward, right? We've got to do that all the way over to the coast. And we've got to go all the way over to the Alabama, far Alabama line. And we've got to cover Florida, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, or South Carolina, Tennessee. We've got to cover all of these states. That would be covering Texas. And then when we get all that done, we've got to start another layer. Then we've got to start another layer until we're two feet deep. That's 10 to the 17th silver dollars. The probability of them coming up with these prophecies and one person fulfilling it would be like taking someone, Stoner writes, blindfold them, send them out, and say, walk as far as you want, keep your blindfold on, but at some point you have to pick up one silver dollar and say, this is it. And take your blindfold off and see if you're right. One marked silver dollar in that whole pile. That's the odds and the probability of these prophecies coming true in one person, Jesus Christ. And we only looked at eight. So he ups the ante. He says, okay, let's just take a group of 48. 
what are the odds that, that 48 of these prophecies come true in one person? He says, we can find a chance that any man fulfilled all 48 to be 1 to 10 in the 157th power. This is a really large number, and it represents an extremely small chance. Let's try to visualize it. The silver dollar which we've been using is entirely too large, he says. We must select a smaller object. The electron is about as small an object as we know of. The electron, now, not even the proton and neutrons, electron. He said, if you were to take electrons and lay them side by side and make a single file line one inch long, like that length right there, if you were to line electrons one inch long, end to end, you would have about 2.5 times 10 to the 15th of them. 2.5 times 10 to the 15th power. If we're going to count the electrons in this line one inch long, and you counted 250 of them every minute, and you're going to count this one inch long line of electrons. If you counted 250 of them each minute, and if we counted day and night, you know how long it would take us to count all the electrons in that one inch line? 19 million years. Counting 250 a minute, it would take you 19 million years to count that line. That's the, the enormous number we're talking about. Of electrons. It gets better. If we had a cubic inch, which means inch going this way, inch going this way, inch coming out this way, and filled the whole square, whole cube with electrons, it would take us, counting at the same speed, 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years to count those electrons. With that introduction, Let's go back to our chance of 1 in 10 to the 157th. Let us suppose that we're taking that number of electrons that takes 19 million times 19 million times 19 million years to count. And you marked 1. And then you let somebody blindfolded pick. You've got to pick the right one. That would be the probability of 48 of these prophecies coming true in one person. How many did I say we went with if we went with the smaller number? 191 prophecies that all came true in Christ. You cannot convince me that a bunch of people across a thousand year period made all these prophecies and they only chose to keep their writings and only the ones they chose to keep all ended up being right in one person. I can't believe that. It's impossible. It's impossible. Such is the chance of any individual fulfilling those 48 prophecies. And Peter said to us, for, and this is 2 Peter 1, 16-21, Peter said, For we do not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received honor and glory from God the Father, when the, majestic, when, the, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. 
We also have the prophetic word strongly confirmed. He didn't even realize how strongly confirmed it was. He didn't have the mathematicians doing that for him. We, he had the prophetic word strongly confirmed. And you will do well to pay attention to it. As to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. How do I know when people ask, how do you know that Christians are right and Muslims are wrong? How do you know? How do you know you're right and Jehovah's Witnesses are wrong? How do you know? How do you know you're right and Buddhists are wrong? How do you know? And most Christians don't have an answer for that. I just know just because I believe it. That's not telling anybody anything. They believe it just as much as you do. How do I know? The prophets. The prophets all spoke about something they couldn't have known. And all the, all the prophets, all the writings that were kept over a thousand years, they were, all came true in one person. Jesus Christ. Oh. You're not going to find that. Give me a New World Translation that witnesses have. Read their, read their Watchtower publications. They made lots of prophecies that did not come true. Armageddon, the world coming to an end, Abraham and, and Moses and all of them coming back, they gave dates. They started in the 1800s, they moved it to the early 1900s, 1913, 1914. They eventually, last one that I'm really familiar with is in the 1970s. People were sell, Jehovah's Witnesses were selling their homes, selling everything they owned because the watchtower would told them, it is strongly confirmed, no doubt about it, 1974 is going to be the year of the end of the Armageddon and it's all over. <clears throat> and then they come out with their next publication. Well, a lot of y'all misunderstood us. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy. I have, I have, I have photocopies at the house if you're interested. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy didn't come true. What do we have? Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy after prophecy all came true in Jesus Christ. I have confidence. I have confidence in this book. I have confidence in God's Word. And I have way more than I can find anywhere else because nobody else has it. Confidence. And that's why Matthew started off his gospel the way he did. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy. By the way, all the prophecies, they point to Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the one God sent us. Do you know him? Do you believe? Are you confident? Do you have confidence in this book? Because there's plenty there to be confident about. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we cannot thank You enough for giving us Your words, for keeping them, for, 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 for keeping them for us through, through thousands of years, for giving us so many ancient manuscripts that we can compare and, and have even more confidence that we know Your Word is true. 
But Father, most of all, we are thankful that You gave us Your Son. That You promised that You would make a way for us to have a relationship with You. You promised a Savior to come, and You were good on Your Word. You gave us a Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can all turn to and place our trust in and have confidence because we know all the things that came true from the prophets in the past. And so that gives us even more confidence to have confidence in all the things that have been prophesied that will come true one day in the future. We know You will come back. We know You will come in the clouds. We know You will put an end to all the sin and sickness and pain and evil that we see in this world. We know that You have a place prepared for us that You are going to come and take us to. We know that You have a perfect future for us in which we will never fall into pain and sin again. Father, we have confidence in that. Because of what you have proved yourself to be true to your word in the past, we can hold on to know that your word will be true in the future. We love you, Father. And we thank you for your love for us. Father, help us to live out our lives in honor of you. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're thinking about the improbability of all this happening and and maybe it crosses your mind, well, I could, I could figure out a way to, like if I worked really hard at it and sat down and looked at all the prophecies, I could figure out a way to, to make it look like it was true about me. If that crosses your mind or, or somebody you may be talking to about it, keep in mind, I didn't list the prophecies. When you actually read the prophecies, you'll start to realize how narrow a list you can actually have. One, you had to be born in Bethlehem, so we're all out. I mean, you're, you're narrowing down to a very short, uh, small area, so you can only select from those people. And then on top of that, when you look at Daniel, you have a time frame. It has to be from the rebuilding of the second temple and before its destruction again, which hundreds of years before, Daniel prophesied that it would be destroyed again and that the Messiah would come before. I mean, that's a bold statement. If you were to say that about you know, some landmark out here. Oh, by the way, one day it's going to be destroyed, and before it's destroyed, the Messiah will come. This temple was destroyed in 70 A.D., 40 years after Jesus was crucified. He did come right before the destruction of that second temple. So when you start narrowing the list down, you'll start to realize real quick, you can't, anybody can't just sit around and fake it. It's not going to happen. I, I, I hope you've walked away today with a little more confidence in this word. And I've got lots more. I I would recommend that book to you, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh and Sean McDowell. It's really big. It's not a sit down and read it. It's a reference book. Um, Topics. You pick topics and reference. All kinds of statistics. But we as as Christians have a book that holds up to anybody's scrutiny. It's amazing. Anybody can scrutinize this book and still not prove it false. Because it's the words of God Almighty. And that gives us confidence. Keith, would you close us in prayer?